how many of you are, um, were fans of the Olympics? How many of you watched the Olympics a lot when they were just re- recently the Rio de Janeiro Olympics? Yeah, I, I didn't get to watch it as much this time as I have in the past. I really enjoy the Olympics. One of my favorite parts of the Olympics is, uh, is, is a part that you don't really see a lot, but every now and then you will hear with a camera and the microphone on, the athletes talk to each other. Now, it, it doesn't take long until usually a commentator or something starts talking over top of that, but I love to hear the athletes talk to each other. If you've ever paid attention when the athletes speak to one another, the things that they're saying, it's really encouraging because even though they're technically competing against one another, uh, they're also offering encouragement to each other. Uh, They're pointing out to each other what they saw in that last dive or in that last floor routine or in that last uh, 100-meter dash. Uh, They're telling each other uh, maybe how how much spring is in the board or how tight the bars are or how firm the mat is. They're they're helping each other as they go through the process of competing. And it's really encouraging to see that kind of sportsmanship and to see that kind of camaraderie and teamwork. Uh, Teamwork is also really evident in any of the relay races. Uh, I love to watch especially the track and field relay race where they've got the little baton that one runner has to pass to the next runner. And you know that's a really important handoff because if you drop the baton, I mean you're just done. And so they really practice how do they hand the baton baton off from one runner to the next runner and, and how it makes its way around. That handoff is critical. When you read the New Testament, especially the writings of Paul, you find that they use analogies uh, from track and field especially a lot. Paul talks about running a race and he talks about persevering to the end. He uses that image quite a bit and there's a reason why he uses that image because Paul's journey really did start out as a race. Uh, he, he was set on a course, and then as he was running that race, the baton was passed to Paul in an unlikely way, and then Paul found himself passing the baton off to another generation. And so towards the end of his life, he's looking back and he's seeing this race. What's interesting to me is that this is a relay race. The Christian faith, disciples of Christ, have been involved in a relay race for more than 2,000 years. And every generation, the baton is passed from one generation to the next generation. Just like even this morning as we stood up here and we had this parent-child dedication and we prayed over Jackson, we recognized the baton is passed from one generation to the next generation. And, and the way we pass the baton and how faithful we are in passing that baton is critical for the outcome of the race. And so for the past several weeks, we've been in a series that we have called In His Steps. We have been looking at what does it mean to follow Jesus. That it's more than just religious boxes that we check, but it's a set of footprints that we follow in. But, but more than that, how do we, 2,000 years later, follow in the steps of Jesus when Jesus is no longer physically present for us to follow? I don't know if you've ever considered that. But, but in church, if, you are, if you're in church a lot, you know, we almost take it for granted that we tell people to follow Jesus. We sing songs about following Jesus. But if you're new to church, a question may have occurred to you that doesn't occur to the rest of us very often. How do you do that? How do you follow somebody who has been physically gone for more than 2,000 years? And the answer, as we see in the entire New Testament, is that we faithfully follow people who faithfully followed people who faithfully follow Jesus. And that we have an opportunity and a responsibility as those who follow Jesus today to lead the next generation behind us. As a church, we have said that we are a multi-generational church with a next-generation vision. 
a multi-generational church. As you look around the room today, there are parents and great-grandparents and even some great-great-grandparents and children and grandchildren, all ages in the room. And we recognize that every generation has responsibility to the one that comes behind it. Our multi-generation nature is a strength for our church because we recognize this is a relay race that is handed from one generation to the next. And this morning, if you are here and you are one who is following after Jesus, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with the truth that the invitation to walk in his steps is an invitation to serve as a spiritual tour guide for those who will come behind you. The invitation to walk in his steps, to follow Jesus, it's more than just about you. It's more than just about how you are faithful to follow Jesus. It's also an invitation for you to become a spiritual tour guide for those who will come behind you. Now, it can be difficult, if not impossible, to follow Jesus by ourselves. But we live in a culture, we live in a society that prizes individualism. We're told that we can do everything by ourselves. I've even heard some Christian writers and speakers and and followers of Christ who have said, you know what, all you really need is Jesus. He's the light of the world and he will light your path. And you need the Bible and that's everything you need. And, And certainly those two things are critical if we're going to effectively follow in the steps of Jesus. And it's they're important for our Christian journey. But that's not all that God has given us. He has given us something that is really critically important for the faith journey. He's given us the church. He's given us each other. I want you right now to do something. It's going to be a little uncomfortable, but I want you to look at the person to your left and right. Go ahead, do it right now. Look at the person to your left and right. All right, look in front of you and behind you. Okay, the people that you just saw, God has positioned them in your life for a purpose. Part of the purpose that he, that he has, has for them is to help you in your spiritual walk. And part of the purpose that he has for you is for you to reach out and assist somebody else who's attempting to follow after Christ. Now, if I were to sit down with each of you individually and we were to talk about your faith journey, we were to talk about your faith story, uh, your story might go something like this. Well, when I, was, when I was growing up, there was this coach. And this coach took an interest in me, and this coach uh, spoke to me, and this coach shared his faith story with me, and it really had an impact on me. Or maybe your story would go something like this. When, when I was in school, there was a teacher, and this teacher meant a lot to me. Uh, maybe for some of you, you would say, well, as I was, as I was growing up, uh, there was a Sunday school teacher, and this Sunday school teacher faithfully taught every week the stories of Jesus, and I learned what it was to follow Christ in that way. Maybe for some of you it was a small group leader. leader. Maybe it was somebody that you work with. Maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was even an employee. These are people who walked beside you on the journey. Sometimes they walked in front of you showing you the way when you didn't know which way to go. Sometimes they walked behind you pushing you when you didn't want to go. And other times they were cheering for you on the sidelines. But they were people that God placed in your life to assist you on the journey. And here's what's true about those people. If, if I were able to hear this story, you would know this was true about the people and you would all tell me this would be the one thing that was similar. Effective spiritual leaders are tour guides, not travel agents. That the people who were in your life, who were positioned for just such a time as that, they were positioned in your life to be tour guides. What does that mean? What's the difference between a tour guide and a travel agent? A tour guide is somebody who leads you on the journey. A travel agent is just somebody who tells you where to go. 
There's a big difference. The travel agent may never themselves have gone on the journey. They may be able to tell you what they've heard or what they've read or what they've seen in documentaries or videos, but they themselves have never gone on the journey. But a tour guide is somebody who is going to walk beside you. A tour guide is somebody who has already walked down the path and know where the danger spots are. A tour guide is somebody who's going to tell you when you're about to go over the top of a hill, hey, look out, because when you come up to the top of this hill, you're going to see a beautiful view and you need to pay attention. And effective spiritual leaders are tour guides, not travel agents. They go on the journey with you. Uh, I was reading a book recently that was talking about Stories, you know, we're people who love stories. If you just, we, the, the, the amount of money that is, is uh, made in Hollywood is, is a witness and a testimony that we love good stories. And this book that I was reading said, you know, there's something true about all these stories that the hero in the story is never the strongest person in the story. And I thought, started thinking about that, and I thought, you know what, that's, that's really true. The hero is somebody who, who maybe goes from uh, the have-not to the have, or they go from the weakling to the, to the star. They, there's somebody who, who makes, a, uh, makes growth in the movie and, and in the story, and they become somebody who accomplishes something that you didn't think they could have accomplished before, but they are never themselves the strongest person in the story. The strongest person in the story is always that person's, the hero's guide. Think about it for just a second. Think of some movies that you may have seen. For example, any Lord of the Ring fans? Yeah, the, the strongest person in the story uh, is Gandalf, right? I mean, he has got this, he is the, he, he is the strongest person in the story. It, it's, not, it's not the people, it's not the hobbits, they're actually weak. Gandalf's the one. How many Star Wars fans? Any Star Wars fans? Yeah, it's not Luke Skywalker or whatever the new people are. I don't showing my age because I, I stick with Luke. It's not Luke. It's, it's Yoda, right? Yoda is the strongest person in the story because Yoda is the tour guide. Um, we'll, we'll go really old school now. How many Wizard of Oz fans do we have? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we are a multi-generational church. Yeah, Dorothy is not the strongest person in the story. Glinda the Good Witch is the strongest person in the story. She had the secret all along for how Dorothy could go home. It's always that person who is offering guidance to the hero who is the strongest one. It is always that person who seems to have a knowledge of the path, a knowledge of the journey, and they are the one who is pointing the way, helping the hero make the pilgrimage and reach the destination. Listen to what Paul said. Now, Paul, remember... Paul started his journey. He was kind of an unexpected hero. He was one who had been persecuting the church. He was opposed to all the things of Christ. And suddenly, he has an encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And and that changes him because that changes people. And suddenly, he goes from being the persecutor of the church to being one who is going to be the greatest church planter the world has ever known. And towards the end of Paul's life, as Paul is writing back to other Christians, listen to what he says to them in in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, if you think about that for just a second, that sounds awfully arrogant, maybe even prideful to say. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, especially when you consider Paul's journey and where Paul has been. Because when Paul started out, Paul was struck blind, the book of Acts tells us, when Jesus appeared to him. And he is helpless and hopeless. So he is certainly not somebody that you would look at and say, you know what, I think I'm going to 
follow Paul. Jesus has already left. He is no longer physically present on the earth, so I think I'll follow Paul. Paul is blind. Paul can't even see a physical path before him, let alone see which way to go to Jesus. So how did Paul go from that, from a blind man who had been persecuting the church, uh, to, to being one who had an encounter with Jesus, to becoming one who could say to others, follow my example as I follow Jesus? Why is it important that we know that? Because that's what we've been called to do. You and I have been called to a kind of faith that we could have the confidence in our journey with Jesus that we could look to people behind us and say, follow my example as I follow Jesus. I don't know how many of you here today feel like you could say that. But that is what it means to follow in the steps of Christ. That we become disciples who are so confident in our walk with Christ that we can look to people behind us and say, follow me as I follow Jesus. How did Paul get to that point? Well, he didn't get there alone. And he didn't get there because he had the New Testament, because he hadn't written it yet. He, he, he didn't get there because he had the church, because the church itself really didn't exist yet. How did he do it? He did it with people that God brought into his life. And I want to look at a couple of them. And, and if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at a couple verses in Acts 9 at some of these people who led the way to G, for Jesus and followed after him. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Beginning in verse 10. Acts 9, beginning in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas. Now, this isn't Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. This is just a poor guy who happened to have the same name as Judas. Okay, this is a different Judas. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man man from Tarsus, Named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. So here, this poor guy, Ananias, is. He is minding his own business. He's a disciple of Jesus. We know he's a disciple of Jesus. And, and he is called by God to go and speak and heal this man who just recently has been persecuting the church. He's been arresting people and putting them in jail. And now the Holy Spirit says, Ananias, go find him. He's at Judas' house on a street called Straight Street. I'm going to give you specific directions. Now, just think if you were Ananias, the kind of faith it would take to actually do what the Spirit told you to do, to go and find this man named Paul and to pray for him. But Ananias did it. Most people think not only did Ananias go and pray for Paul, and Paul's sight was restored, but Ananias stayed and discipled Paul for a considerable period of time, that he was teaching Paul. Now, we don't talk about Ananias. We talk about Paul all the time, but I wonder if Paul would have ever become Paul had it not been for Ananias being faithful and obedient to the Spirit and going to Paul and teaching Paul and spending time with Paul. So Paul becomes a disciple. His sight is restored. He is on his way back out into public, and now he's got to face the church. All these Christians who know him, he's got a reputation as somebody who's persecuting the church, and now he's going to have to face all these Christians, some of whom he may have thrown in jail, others of whom he may have tortured and persecuted, and now he is suddenly going to have to go before them. And listen what happens in verse 26 and 27. When he, Paul, came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Well, of course they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, 
and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So here's Paul making his way into this church. Everybody's afraid of him. Nobody wants to accept him. Nobody wants to welcome him in. And Barnabas steps up and says, you know what? I believe in Paul. I believe in Paul. And, and, and we should trust Paul. I've, I've witnessed things. I've seen things. We can believe in Paul. Barnabas stepped up beside Paul. And the two of them together, if you go on and read the rest of the book of Acts, the two of them together go on a great missionary journey telling the story of Jesus and planting churches throughout the Roman world. In Acts chapter 11, we see that Barnabas and Paul get together and they go help a church in Antioch. And then Paul goes from one who has been discipled by Ananias and by Barnabas to one who is discipling others. As a matter of fact, when you read the New Testament, you are reading letters that Paul has written to churches and to individuals that he is discipling and leading in the ways of Jesus. People like Philemon, Timothy, Titus, all people that Paul was discipling. All people to whom Paul was preparing to hand the baton. As his race was coming to an end and a new generation was coming behind him, he was preparing to teach them the ways of Jesus. And listen to the words of Paul to these young disciples who are coming behind him. Listen to this. It's in 2 Timothy 2.2. He's saying this to Timothy. He's probably said this to every disciple that he had. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, everything that I've told you, be prepared to tell it to another generation behind you. Be prepared to share it with other people. As you were following me, as I was following Jesus, you also walk in his steps so that people coming behind you can walk in your steps as you walked in my steps and as I walked in Ananias' steps and as Ananias walked in the apostles' steps and as the apostles walked in Jesus' steps. We follow Jesus in community as we disciple the next generation that comes behind us. Now, here's my challenge for you and for us this morning is to identify people in your life you could follow with complete confidence that if you were following them, you would know that you were following Jesus. Who are those people? Who are those people that you know you could call them at 2 o'clock in the morning? You could entrust them with every password to every bank account and every computer program that you have into your smartphone. You could give them entry to all your, all your devices You could let them look into your life. They could know anything about you. And they would tell you the next step that you need to take on your journey in order to follow after Jesus. Who are those people? People God has placed in your life, like Ananias and Barnabas, who can help you on the journey. And if you don't know any, you need to get to know some. You need to put yourself in environments where you can be with other believers, where you can learn from them, and you can get to know them, and you can be known by them. This is why it is critical that you are involved in a small group. I love what happens in worship. This is great. We come here, and we sit, we worship together, we study God's Word together. It's wonderful. It's important. It's even critical. But more important than this is what happens in a small group where people live lives together, studying God's word together, encouraging and challenging one another because circles are better than rows. I love the rows, but circles are better because circles are where discipleship happens. 
And, and here's what we need to know as a church. As we begin to encourage and build one another up in this process of following in the steps of Jesus, that we recognize people among us who are following Christ and that we follow after them and we put them in positions where others who are trying to follow Jesus can see their walk. Healthy churches are led by healthy leaders. Healthy churches are led by healthy leaders. And Southside Baptist Church, we want a leadership team at Southside that is not a bunch of travel agents. We need a leadership team at Southside who are tour guides, people who will go into the trenches with you, people who will go on the journey with you, people who will walk beside you, push you, pull you, challenge you, encourage you. That's the kind of leadership we need as a church if we're going to effectively follow Christ. We need Ananiases. We need people who will hear the Spirit say, go to that very, the most unlikely person that you know right now in your workplace, the most unlikely person you know now in your school, students. They're, they're a great leader, but maybe they're not leading in a good way. But, but they're people of influence, and the Spirit prompts you, you might be their Ananias. You might be somebody who reaches somebody in your office or somebody in your civic organization for Christ in such a way that they go on and have a a tremendous impact in the kingdom, but it would have never happened if you had not been obedient to the Spirit to be their Ananias. Maybe you need to be a Barnabas, somebody who's struggling in the faith, and they just need you to come beside them and encourage them. They need you to speak up for them. They need for you to welcome them into the church. Somebody needs you to be their Ananias. This morning... We already mentioned the ministry covenant card that's in your, that's in your bulletin. Uh, we, we are encouraging you to take a look around you. Who are people at Southside Baptist Church that you recognize already live this out? And we're asking you to nominate them to serve on our deacon body where they can help us in our small groups to minister and provide pastoral care for our church. Nominate them to be trustees, people who are set apart to help lead our church, guide us on the day-to-day operations of what we do. The best leaders in the congregation are those who are most closely following Jesus. And so we want to identify people that you would entrust with the message of the gospel with complete confidence that they will faithfully pass the baton of faith on to others. You know, I thought about this. Who are the people in my life that if for whatever reason I was not able to speak truth into my kids' lives, I would want them to do it. That'll tell you who the spiritual leaders are among you. Who is it in your life that if you were not around to be able to speak into your kids' lives, your grandkids' life, your niece's life, your, your neighbor's kids' life, you would say, I would trust this person to lead them in the ways of Christ. Those are the kind of leaders we want to set apart. And if you are called to be that kind of leader, let me encourage you. It, it, there's, there's some things that we need to recognize if we're going to follow. You have to be relational. You have to be relational. You have to get to know people. You have to get to hear their stories and be willing to share your story with them. You have to be relational. You have to be intentional. It's not just enough to have a good relationship, but you have to have a relationship that is pointing in the direction of Jesus Christ. And you have to be consistent. Sometimes it takes years and years and years and years, and you have to be patient. You have to be willing to mentor somebody, walk beside them. Paul did not come Paul, he did not become Paul overnight. There was a process and a journey, and there were people who were willing to walk beside Paul on the way. I want to ask you something. Can you say what Paul said? Can you today say, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ? Can you say that? Is your life an effective witness 
of what it means to follow in the steps of Jesus? And if not, why not? What is it going on? What's going on in your life right now that would keep you from saying that? Because if you can identify what that is, you just identified the next spiritual step you need to take to walk in the direction of Jesus. How can you walk with Jesus in such a way that you begin to change those things about your life that says, you know what, I'm not a good example of Jesus, and here's why. Let me tell you, one, two, three. When are you going to take a step to do something about one, two, and three? Because it's not just Paul who needs to be able to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We are a new generation who needs to be able to stand up and say, follow our example as we follow the example of Jesus. Let me ask you this. What if every person in the church was as committed and prepared to be a spiritual tour guide as you are? Would the church be stronger or would it be weaker? What if every person here had your same journey with Christ? Would we be a better church? Would we be a better reflection of Christ or not? Because we're called to this, that we should follow in the steps of of Jesus Christ. And I cannot lead others where I myself am not willing to go. How many of you are willing to take that step to follow Jesus, even in the hard places of your life, through those difficult places where you know you're going to need to give that habit up, you're going to need to start living a different way, you're going to need to change your attitude about something. When are you going to begin to follow in the steps of Jesus in such a way that you can look at those who are coming behind you And say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. And as we pray together, I'm just going to ask you, if you would, to take just a few minutes and again to reflect on what is it in your life right now. What area of your life would you say, I'm not following him. I wouldn't want the next generation of disciples to be like me in this area. What is that? And I wonder if today you would make a commitment to surrender that to Christ and say, you know what, I'm going to leave that aside because that is not only preventing me from following the steps of Jesus, but it has the potential of preventing a whole other generation of following in the steps of Jesus as well. Father, today as we study the life of Paul and as we just take a a glimpse at the people who had an impact on Paul, Lord, I I recognize that there are those that you've placed in, in our lives who are Paul's, who are Timothy's, who are Ananias's, who are Barnabas's. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit. But thank you, Lord, for the godly men and women who have been a part of my life, who poured into me uh, over these last decades. Lord, and I pray that we would be a church that would not be satisfied with just coming to church and going through religious rituals and motions, but that we would be a committed group of disciples, passionate about following in the steps of Jesus and passionate about passing the baton on to the next generation of those who would also follow. Father, today there are those who, who need to look inward. Father, they need, to, uh, they, need, they need a course correction. Father, there are others who are trying to be spiritual travel agents. They're trying to tell their kids, their grandkids, where they should go, but they themselves are not willing to go there. Lord, help us to be people, men and women, boys and girls of integrity who would follow after you and with the confidence of knowing that if someone were following us, they'd be following you. 
Holy Spirit, we invite you to move during this time. Convict us and move us to be like you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.